Today on Ag News Daily. Big vision, big bold action, feel kind of scary and uncomfortable, yes, but we can do it and we can be part of the solution and we need to lean into it. As I tell my pig farming cohorts, we have a couple options here. Good afternoon and happy Thursday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Dawson Schmidt. Dawson, how's it going up there in Iowa? It's going pretty good. Uh, another warm day. Yesterday, I was down, or I guess the last couple of days, I was down in southeast Iowa for a cattle show, watching my girlfriend show. And it was really not so hot, but the humidity was just so bad. I thought it was going to rain, but it never did. So, I mean, it's kind of kind of seemed like it's heating up again, but not too much, I guess. That's the one thing I like about Lubbock is we hardly have any moisture in the air. It's a dry hot. So it's a little bit more tolerable than the heat down in, you know, the Dallas area where I'm from. So I got to say, that's the one good thing that Lubbock weather has going for it. For sure. And I guess that's another reason why I should probably go and visit down there. Absolutely. I mean, if you're wanting to do your master's or anything, I can definitely give you a tour because I used to be a tour guide back in the day. So I'm full of useless knowledge and facts. (laughs) I can definitely keep that in mind, but kind of going right into it, Ashton, what are you looking at today? Well, of course, I mean, we were just talking about weather and that's going to have to be a continued conversation that we have to have this summer, especially when it comes to drought, because USDA has now authorized emergency haying and grazing on conservation reserve program land in over 1,000 counties in the United States. And most of them are in the West, which, you know, isn't really too big of a surprise because that's where we're seeing a lot of drought right now. But the list of counties has grown just 4% in the last week. And I know 4% doesn't sound like a whole lot in the grand scheme, but I'll get into the numbers a little bit more here as we go on. Every week, USDA updates a map of the counties eligible for this emergency hang and grazing. As of June 24th, the most recently published list of counties with permitted haying and grazing on CRP land includes 1,021 countries or 32% of the countries that the program is dealing with. Of those countries, 860 have been designated in 2021 alone. And then just in the month of June, emergency hang and grazing on CRP acres was authorized in 196 counties. And then in between June 17th and June 24th, 39 counties were added to the designation list. And I, I mean, those numbers, they don't seem you know too large when you really think about how many counties there actually are in the United States. But I'm looking at this map And I mean, the whole state of California, the whole state of Nevada, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, Nebraska, it looks like, and a lot of other states are involved in this emergency hang and grazing. And honestly, I think it's pretty sad. I would definitely agree. Uh, On the flip side, I do like to keep things a little bit positive if I can. So I also am looking at the drought monitor that the USDA posted uh, out this morning. And luckily, we are seeing some improvements, especially in the Midwest. We saw a lot of areas uh, in at least northeast Iowa that had moved from a moderate drought to just uh, or sorry, from a severe drought to moderate drought. Uh, we also saw some areas in Michigan move from a severe drought to a moderate drought and also seeing some more abnormally dry areas instead. Um, so that's kind of good news. Uh, 
reaching into Minnesota, Southern Minnesota also saw some improvements as well. Um, maybe some slight improvements as far as extreme drought in parts of North Dakota and South Dakota. And even up in Maine, they're starting to see some improvements to their uh, drought conditions as well. So just kind of a lighter news, I guess, right there. Well, thank you for bringing um, the the mood up a little bit, Dawson. Definitely appreciate that there. And you're right. I mean, we have seen some improvements and I hope that we continue to see those improvements. But my heart definitely goes out to those cattle ranchers, especially they're having to deal with this kind of state of emergency. But hopefully as summer continues to go on, we don't see too many. What's the opposite of improvements, Dawson? I don't I don't know uh, how to say the the opposite of improvements. Uh, I would just say maybe some declines. Uh, I'm not I'm not thinking of two very fancy words today. So <laughs> my brain's just not working. I guess I'm just ready for the Fourth of July holiday here. But some brains that have been working are some of those on the House Appropriations Committee because they approved a fiscal 2022 funding bill yesterday for the Agriculture Department, uh, the Food and Drug Administration, and Commodity Futures Trading Commission that would boost spending by more than 10 percent including hefty amounts for ag research and climate change-related programs. The increase of about $2.8 billion to $26.6 billion is, quote, critical as we work to tackle hunger, lift up rural communities, rebuild public health and safety infrastructure, confront the climate crisis, and foster greater equity. The bill was passed by voice vote, although Republicans said that as a non-defense measure, the spending was simply too high. Representative Tom Cole said that the bill is based on a funding framework that does not have bipartisan support. If we want to fund good things in this bill, we've got to adjust funding levels. Now, before advancing the bill, the committee approved a couple of controversial amendments, including a measure to revoke line speed waivers granted to 16 poultry plants and another to prohibit the purchase of farmland by companies owned in whole or in part by the People's Republic of China. In an opening statement at Wednesday's markup, Ag Appropriations Subcommittee Chairman Sanford Bishop said that the bill includes $3.4 billion for ag research and nearly $350 million for climate change mitigation. And I won't you know, read this whole article because it is very lengthy, but folks, I am going to be putting it in our network newsletter that goes out tomorrow morning. So if you want to read more about this bill and what exactly it entails, definitely take a look there. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Ash, and that was a part of my piece of news. Not the whole thing, but kind of the highlight I picked out was what you said that the bill would also bar Chinese companies from purchasing further or more land in the United States. And that seemed to be the hottest topic in that or one of the hottest topics in that bill. And Representative Dan Newhouse uh came out and said that pretty much the ownership of China's land in the U.S., which is about, I think, 192,000 acres is what it says. Uh, he would refer to that as a national security issue, quoting that the current trend of the United States is leading us towards the creation of a Chinese-owned agricultural land monopoly, um, also saying that there's currently no federal safeguards against the creation of that monopoly. Approval of Newhouse's amendment was kind of the latest signing of a, the national rivalry the international rivalry going on between China and the United States, kind of a heightening of our tensions between them. Not sure how that's going to actually go about with dealing with different companies that want to expand, especially in the U.S., and how that would 
reach roadblocks and kind of going into, I guess, I don't know, different lawsuits that might occur within, you know, the agriculture sector. And other uh, other representatives did come out and say that they are kind of concerned about the outlining of this bill on how it targets specifically China. Uh, Many of us heard in the news on how many people were scapegoating towards uh, Chinese Americans on the whole COVID-19 outbreak. And they're mainly just wanting some more clarifications on how we can avoid maybe people targeting those groups again and just and just making it a little bit more broad as well. Well, Dawson, I just have one more piece of news today. I don't know if I'm just, you know, stealing the the spotlight today. I've just been talking nonstop. So you'll have to share some more here in a second because this is my final one. And it's talking about some legislation that has been reintroduced in the U.S. House that its author says would bring transparency to checkoff programs. During a press conference with the Organization for Competitive Markets yesterday, Nevada Democrat Dina Titus told reporters the USDA has had very lax regulation of checkoff programs. She was quoted as saying, the money now is often used with association groups to lobby for certain issues that may hurt some of the smaller rangers and farmers who have to contribute by law. Titus says that checkoff money is not only being used to lobby for large farmers and ranchers, but to advocate even against this bill. And I feel like there's been conversations about checkoffs. I mean, since they started in, you know, the the 80s and there's been a lot of back and forth and especially some that I've seen, you know, this year. Titus says that this bill will first go to the House Ag Committee, and she expects a Senate companion bill to be introduced by Senator Cory Booker in the next three weeks. Titus says that she would like to see the measure pass on its own or as part of the 2023 Farm Bill. Similar efforts have failed in the 115th Congress and during the last Farm Bill negotiations. And I don't exactly know what all this bill is is about there really is just kind of conversation that particularly in this article is is going on right now not so much of where this bill might be taking us here in the future so hopefully we do get a little bit more news after the holiday weekend about this bill but that's all i have for right now yeah it's interesting you brought that up there has been a lot of controversy controversy as far as where money is going from the checkoff programs. I have had conversations in the past with this from different activist groups in agriculture on how they've been claiming that money from checkoff programs is going towards lobbying. And that's trying, that's trying to, or they're trying to get away from that. Um, And then I've also reached out to other people that have said that, you know, money from checkoffs is not going towards lobbying. So there's definitely a lot of, uh, you know, different sides to that issue that people are just trying to convey. You are certainly right, Dawson, but I am all out of news for today. Do you have anything else to tell us before we get into the markets? I do not. I say we get right into them. All right. Well, here we go. Dawson, earlier before we started recording, you were talking about how corn was doing pretty good today after those reports came out yesterday, but they kind of slowed down this afternoon. So for the July corn contract down a quarter cent to close at 719 and three quarters, the December up a quarter cent or a half a cent to close at 589. Soybeans, the July contract down three and a quarter cent to close at 1446 and three quarters. 
quarters. The November down three and a half cents to close at 13.95 and a half in the wheat. The July contract down 13 cents to close at 6.58 and a half. The December down 11 and three quarter cents to close at 6.73 and three quarters. In livestock, some green across the screen here to start us out in live cattle. The August contract up 85 cents to close at 123.57 and a half. The October up a dollar and 10 cents to close at 129.25. And the December up a dollar and 10 cents to close at 133.20. In feeder cattle, green again, starting out on the August contract up a dollar seventy to close at one fifty six thirty two and a half. The September up a dollar sixty five to close at one fifty nine at seven and a half. In the October up a dollar fifty five to close at one sixty one seven and a half. In lean hogs, not so much good news here as it was with feeder and live cattle. Starting out in the July contract down seventeen and a half cents to close at one hundred seven thirty. The August down two ninety five to close at one hundred and thirty cents. The October down $2.40 to close at $84.87 and a half. Rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, the July contract down 17 cents to close at 16.74. The August down 27 cents to close at 16.86. And the September down five cents to close at 17.29. And with that, I'm going to kick it over to part two of the seminar titled Industry Metrics for Sustainable Pork Production that we had the pleasure of sitting in on at World Pork Expo. On the right-hand side of the screen, I want to talk to you about the environment in terms of what we can do with the power of tillage practices and how we keep the soil in place. Because of the tillage practices on this pig farm and the farmers that support the feed for this pig farm, we proved with data that that saved 8,713 tons of soil being lost to potential erosion, which is essentially 545 dump trucks. I don't know how big the dump truck was, but you get it big. Think of big dump truck, right? The other thing I want you to know is where we're headed. Folks, we have a huge opportunity as an industry now more than ever to evaluate manure as a resource, not a waste source. Because if you want to talk about sustainability, a holistic systems approach, we've done it forever. Corn and soybeans, we harvest that, we put it through a pig. They create this magical thing called black gold or pig poop or manure. We incorporate that back into the soils. We put the seeds back in the ground and do it again, right? So with the power of manure, we can actually displace some commercial fertilizer, save producers money, reduce nitrogen that's being applied, and it works to our advantage. Just a quick snapshot. I don't expect you to be able to see that. That's not the important point of this slide. The important part of this slide is on the right-hand side, you're going to see something called a skip report, right? Skip report. But it actually stands for Sustainable Continuous Improvement Plan. With these pilots, with these data analytics, which what we're doing here on your behalf, the farmer gets a plan that says, here's what you can take credit for today. Would you like something like that on your operation? Because that's part of this game, right, is taking credit for things you're already doing. But also, in typical pig farmer culture, it says, you know, there's an opportunity to get better. And so in the report, it talks about here's some short-term and long-term goals that you may think about implementing on your operation. 
But you as leaders in your industry and as young scientists in the room have to step back, right, and look at those long and short-term goals and then say, do they make sense, Dwayne, for my business, right? And that's the business proposition that you have to evaluate. So I want to walk through one really big thought for you as we get ready to switch gears here. Excuse me there for the rampantness of the computer. So I'm going to paint a vision for you. I want you to come along on the journey with me. I am a big athletics fan, right? I just love athletics, always have. And when we start talking about data, it tends to make a lot of people nervous, right? Brett, where are you going with this? Envision a locker room, okay? Envision a locker room with me. Call this the locker room. In this locker room could be a locker for your individual on-farm data. Chris, you own that locker. She puts in all her information into her locker, and Chris can use that data as she so fits to do, right? Could be anything from her PQA Plus certification card. Take credit for what we're already doing. Could be uh, some of her common swine industry audit data. Take credit for what we're already doing, right? But she's got this locker room of information, and she can control it and utilize it and leverage it with whoever she wants to. Maybe your banker, right? Maybe your county commissioners. Maybe you're trying to get a new building built or housed in your county, right? So Chris has that data. But Chris also has this thing called the digital key. And Chris can go in there with her digital key that's just her digital key and extrapolate that data and use it as she wants. Now, take it a step further. Where are you from, Chris? I knew that. She's from North Carolina. Thank you. Take it a step further. What if all the producers that voluntarily put their information into one system, right, into the North Carolina locker in the North Carolina uh, locker room here, and let's just say those that run the national or the North Carolina Port Council have a really, really important meeting with a legislative challenge, and they're looking for some science and some facts and some data that suggests that some of the headlines news is bogus, right? You've watched North Carolina and the challenges we have as an industry, right? Chris, you live it every day. So what could happen is Roy Lee Lindsay, CEO of the North Carolina Port Council, goes in with his digital key. He unlocks that locker room for North Carolina of blinded, aggregated, protected data, dumps it out for his next important meeting. Doesn't know your data, Chris, and what you're doing, but it's aggregated. Does that make sense to you? So on behalf of the North Carolina Port Council, we have a sustainability report for the state. Let's take it one big picture further. What if this locker room actually had a locker that housed all the national data that was voluntarily reported by farmers on farm data and I'll be honest with you, I've got a very, very important dinner meeting Thursday night with one of your biggest customers that buys a lot of pork. Quick service restaurant. They sell a lot for breakfast. I'll leave it at that. Arches may be golden. You with me? What if when I'm preparing for that meeting Thursday night, that's a robust agenda, it's going to go on for a long time, I could go in the locker room because they got some really good questions for me. I could go in the locker room, turn the key, 
take that blinded, aggregated data and dump it out and say, I know what you've heard, I know what you've read, I know what your concerns are, I know what your board wants, I know what your customer wants. Let me show you on behalf of U.S. pork producers what we're doing in the space of carbon, water, air, animal welfare, our communities, donations, volunteer hours, pounds of product, antibiotic use. Is that pretty powerful? That's the vision. But it starts with you, and the framework's been built. Okay, The UN Sustainability Development Goals Framework, our board directors has built the, the pork framework for you based on We Care Ethical Principles, and now the next opportunity is do you want to lean in and provide information? If you're interested in that, that's the call to action to you, and we can talk about that more in depth. But these pilots that I just touched upon did exactly that. And the team that helped us do that's in the room here, and they have a booth here, and we're happy to have those discussions as well. So with the two minutes I have remaining, here's the call to action, here's the challenge for us. We have done an amazing job as pig farmers and continue to do so. If you just want to get really, really, really myopic, you can look at sustainability and just talk about carbon and greenhouse gas emissions if you want to. It's a miss. But if we are going to focus on greenhouse gas emissions, our two biggest emitters relative to pig farmers is the row crop feedstuffs in which the pig eats and the manure in which we produce. That's a fact. Dr. Cordes knows that, right? She studied this. So if that's the case, we're going to need partners. And we as pig farmers know we can handle the in-barn stuff, but we're going to need partners like the United Soybean Board, like the National Corn Growers Association that you saw release their goals yesterday, I believe, to come along for the ride. So maybe what I showed you a lot, you thought, well, Brett, there's a lot of agronomic data in there. There's a lot of manure data in there, and that's for a reason, if you want to talk about greenhouse gas emissions. But don't lose sight of those other metrics that we can report against, which are things that pig farmers do in terms of pounds of product a year that you donate. Hours that you commit to your communities. Energy use in your barns, right? Low-hanging fruit is, talked to a producer the other day in Lamar's, Iowa. Brett, I took all the fluorescent lights out. I put LEDs in. Guess what they did? They saved money in energy cost, right? The meter doesn't spin as fast, but what else did they do? They reduced their greenhouse gas emissions, Right? Wouldn't it be neat to capture that information and be able to share that story? So take credit for what we've already done, communicate it appropriately, and then stretch and think about the future. But we can only do it with producers. Why would the checkoff lean into this? And then I'll turn back to you, Dr. Hostetler. Why would your checkoff lead this type of work? Here's the reasons. One, it is a farmer-led initiative. You've watched. There's a lot of big companies out there making a lot of big claims and we're, with your checkoff dollars, are a member of the Sustainability Consortium in which Walmart's already created goals and metrics for pork. They don't make a lot of sense for you from a rural route to perspective. I'll just let you know that. So this is a farmer-led initiative, right? It's very important. The other thing that you have to keep in mind is that we have a unified voice in this process. So your checkoff's job is to represent you as U.S. pig farmers and pork as a food, right? Very, very important. And if we do this well, then it validates and builds trust and confidence for U.S. pork. So keep those things in mind as you move forward. Big vision, big, bold action, feel kind of scary and uncomfortable, yes, but we can do it. 
and we can be part of the solution and we need to lean into it. As I tell my pig farming cohorts, we have a couple options here. Right now, we can stand and do nothing. That is a strategy. This train is coming. It's coming hard and it's coming fast. And so we can let it come over the top of us. Or as leaders, as you've always been, you can lean into it, lean from the front, and be part of the solution. Again, folks, that was Dr. Brett Kaysen, who's the VP of sustainability for NPB. So he gave some great insight when it comes to sustainability, of course, in the pork industry. Glad we were able to sit in on that. And tomorrow, folks, is Friday, of course. So we're going to be doing our 30 under 30 episode for the week. Got some good stuff going for you. And then on Monday, we will not be here for Market Monday as it is a holiday weekend. Markets will be closed. So you'll have to come back for Tech Tuesday, which you can listen to it at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Dawson, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.